Welcome to Film Grain, the official podcast of the Film Society of Northwestern Pennsylvania and the Greater Erie Film Office. We preview film productions and events in the region and speak with creative entrepreneurs as Erie carves out its part in the wider industry landscape. This is a special early episode because this Sunday are the 92nd Academy Awards and we'll be speaking with local film critic Forrest Taylor to discuss some predictions of which films will be taking home the Oscars this weekend. Before we get into that discussion, let's talk about this week's special event. Film Grain Dinner and a Movie is our Wednesday night film series. Events take place at the Bourbon Barrel at 1213 State Street in downtown Erie, PA. The series features a big screen, upgraded sound, couch and table seating, and great company. Dinner and dessert are buffet style and included with your admission. Vegetarian options every week and gluten-free on request. Plus, table service all night long. Wednesday night, we are screening Judy, an Academy Award Best Picture nominee. Judy is led by a deeply committed performance from Renee Zellweger. Judy captures the waning days of a beloved performer with clear-eyed compassion, featuring some of Judy Garland's best-known songs, the film celebrities they voice, the capacity for love, and the sheer pizzazz of the world's greatest entertainer. Pre-sales for Judy are available through our website, filmsocietynwpa.org. Okay, so we have a new addition to Film Grain, and that is Forrest Taylor. Forrest, welcome to Film Grain. Hi, glad to be here. So Forrest, tell us a little bit about what you're going to be doing for us. I review films for the reader, obviously, so um, they would like to have me, you know, sort of fill in my uh, regular reviews to fill people in on, you know, movies that might be playing at the main theater or just around the city. And even sometimes, if I've seen it early, uh, some of the films that are shown at the Bourbon Barrel. So people can pick up editions of the Erie Reader for free all over the city, and then you have your own section in there where Correct. you review blockbusters, new stuff that's coming out. Anything that's uh, that's out and about, yep. Cool. Which the current issue has your Oscar predictions, which we'll talk about that in a second, but I wanted to give a little bit of background on you and uh, and what you do uh, okay. and, and your involvement in film in sure. the Erie area. Let's talk about uh, Slaughter Films a little bit. Okay. Uh, Slaughter Film is a podcast that I started with my friend Corey Carr back in 2012. We talk about mainly horror, sci-fi, fantasy, action movies, you know, genre films. Uh, just give a little insight into the making of the film and its impact and our own personal thoughts on it. The podcast unfortunately stopped around July of last year because we had done 365 episodes and we were just kind of burned out. Uh, but we have moved on to working with the Erie Movie House to do what we call Slaughter Film Presents. Uh, once a month we present a film that they're going to show at the movie house and give a little introduction to it, talk about the history, make everyone in the theater do a drive-in oath, um, and then we show the movie. It's been great so far. Uh, this this month, the day after Valentine's Day, which is February 15th, we are showing Psychos in Love, so uh, be prepared for that. Once once a month type of thing. Uh, what is a drive-in oath? Oh, it's... Uh, you said drive-in oath? Yep, everyone has to take an oath. Hold up the right hand and repeat what I say. We talk about how, you know, I am a drive-in mutant, I am a video store zombie, I am a late-night binge-watching maniac. You know, get everyone sworn in before uh, we show these, these wild and uh, crazy films that we like to show on, at the movie house, you know, so. And a little bit of the background, <laughs> just the Erie Movie House, uh, in case anyone listening doesn't know the Erie Movie House is. Um... Oh, it's a, it's a little uh, building on um, West A Street, just past the, the sheets and the cemetery and everything. Uh, I think it's like one of the best kept secrets in Erie right now because I, it should be, you know, blowing up everywhere for, for people to come see because the movies they show are incredible. Uh, also, the uh, they have a bunch of arcade machines on free play, Uncle Fester machines, 
machine where you grab onto it and oh, it shocks yeah, I you. I love that. Remember that? Just so everyone knows, it's also BYOB. So they've got that going for them as well. So I would like to get word out there that, um, you know, the Erie Movie House is up and running and the stuff yeah. they show is incredible. They screen films that the public can go and see, but you can also rent it out as a venue if you want to have you know, a private party, you can throw whatever you want on the big screen. I actually attended a bachelor party where we watched old WWF wrestling <laughs> <laughs> from like the 80s and 90s. That's great. And it was wild. <laughs> a little Top Gun volleyball too? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that's Nicole and Craig out there running the Erie Movie House, and it's Psychos in Love, which will be on February 15th. Yep. Just to, to back up briefly, your Slaughter uh, podcast, people can still access those episodes? Oh, yes. Um, not, not just the episodes, but also before that, we did uh, videos on YouTube, which are still available. Uh, we have a couple of commentaries, which we have dubbed Mondo Commentaries. Um, you can just have the commentary and then find some other way to watch the movie alongside of it because we can't show the movie, obviously. We had a podcast that was we had briefly called Under the Ring, where um, myself and Corey Carr and our good friend Joe Bricker talk about wrestling, you know, the, the, nice. the classic days of wrestling. We had a series called uh, Netflix Movie Night, where we just sit on the couch and watch a Netflix movie and record our reactions. Probably... Not good now because most of the stuff we did probably isn't on Netflix anymore. Mm. But if you have a way to watch it, there you go. You know, we had, we had all sorts of stuff on that website. So yeah, and it's all it's all still available at www.slaughterfilm.com or just go to YouTube and type up Slaughter Film in the search bar. Cool. And I gotta say, um, uh, you guys have quite a little uh, following here. Oh yes. I mean, you've got over a thousand subscribers and thousands of views on all of your videos. So. Yes. Uh, I'm I'm very happy about that. I did not expect uh, us to, you know, become such a kind of like a uh, little like cult thing there, you know, for a while. So it's 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 been great. I love all the. So um, what's next on the horizon for Slaughter Film? Uh, well, like I said, we we don't do the Slaughter Film anymore just because we kind of got burned out to it. But um, we've been discussing about a possible other podcast. Corey has been discussing what we like to call when the screaming stops. Again, this is all up in the air. This is all speculative. But where we just basically take one movie, maybe once or twice a month, and you know just completely dissect it. You know, talk about the making of the history, everything like that. You know, um, rather than do what our old podcast was, which was you know two films a week or something, which just, it got kind of like... So you've seen every film open. then? Um, <laughs> almost. <laughs> I can't even imagine some of the stuff that you've probably watched. Oh, oh, I, I, I can feel your ear about it if, you, if you're interested. <laughs> well, you, well, I mean, that's why you're here too, because we're introducing you as one of our new uh, segment uh, uh, critics. Oh, sure. We'll be doing a weekly spin on mm -hmm. uh, movies of the week. Uh, your choice, I'm assuming. Absolutely. Probably multiple ones. Yep. And uh, and uh, so I'm really excited about that to have you on board. So do you want to tell us a little bit about your your personal background, like how you got into movies or growing uh, up type stuff? Yeah, sure. I mean, if we, we go back far enough, um, I first got into movies when I was about 10 years old. Uh, I got a book about King Kong and I read about stop motion animation. And that just blew my mind because before that, I thought that movies just kind of made themselves. Um, so I took my parents' camera and made my own little film, which was just a little toy King Kong walking across my desk using stop motion. Ever since then, I've been interested in studying it. I had a little book when I was uh, in high school called Forest Book of Film Reviews, which I don't know where it is. I'm actually kind of curious to check it out to see how I felt about film when I was, you know, 15 years old or whatever. Studied film in school. Uh, didn't actually get a degree in film. Uh, it was communication arts uh, with a minor in English. But I basically went to every film class that they had in the college, you know. And um, what, you, or what school was that? 
Oh, that was Gannon University. Okay. Just recently, uh, Nick Warren, the editor of the um, Erie Reader, was nice enough to, you know, come to me and say they're looking for a regular film critic. And I was there to, to fill in that gap, you know. So uh, ever since uh, the winter of 2016, I've been doing that. I actually tried making my own film once, way harder than it seems. Um, I worked on a horror film called The Killer Foot, and I wrote that script just so I could uh, have the tagline, evil is a foot. Um, that's, <laughs> that's where I learned that I'm not the best when it comes to directing. Uh, I don't really have that um, authoritative quality. I'm, I'm very passive. I'm very easygoing. Uh, and you, don't, you can't do that when you're a director, uh, I found that my passion is in writing. Um, I've written one short film, The Killer Foot. I've written uh, two full-length screenplays, none of which got picked up by anybody. And I'm actually currently working with my brother on possibly making another screenplay because I had an idea for a film called The Pig, which um, it made my brother's mind just race, and he's really interested in working with that. So hopefully... By the end of this year, we'll begin uh, writing the screenplay for The Pig. <laughs> What's the tagline of that one going to be? I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one of the first posters that ever hung on my wall as a kid was a King Kong on top of Empire State Building. I have that poster. <laughs> yeah, I love it. It's a great poster. <laughs> I'm actually something of an avid uh, King Kong collector. If I find anything King Kong related, I have to get it. So I have a little bit of a King Kong collection at my place. <laughs> well, that's cool. <laughs> what did you think of the newer King Kong movie? Uh, it was all right, uh, but my, my biggest problem with it was that they really amped the size of King Kong because he's got to fight Godzilla in this new series, you know? Right. And thus the um, connection that he has with the female lead doesn't really feel... Doesn't work. It doesn't feel as strong because he's so huge. Yeah. I mean, you, you kind of need him to be a little bit more um, recognizably human, I guess you could say, in order for it. And I, I love King Kong as a, a big softy romantic, so I'd much rather see that than see him going toe-to-toe with Godzilla. But... Hey, you never know. It did might... you like the Peter Jackson one? I did, actually. My, uh, like everyone, it's brutally long. It's way, way too long. But when uh, the movie gets over itself a little bit and actually, like, you know, can tell that story, uh, it's it's downright compelling sometimes. Uh, and I think Naomi Watts really killed it as, as uh Yeah, she was Arrow, great. You know, um, but way too long. I know that that's like the number one criticism of everybody, but it, it must be noted that it is way, way too long. Well, not to get off track, what about 1976 version? What did you think of that one? <laughs> All the versions. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I hated it. I, it's, it's not great. Exactly. Okay, enough said. That's all I wanted to hear you say. <laughs> All right, well, let's get into the meat of the episode. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Let's talk Oscars. Let's talk Oscars, yeah. Uh, would you like me to start? Uh, sure. Well, we have the 92nd uh, Academy Awards coming up this Sunday, this sun- which is the 7th? Excuse me, it's uh, the 9th. The 9th, yeah. February 9th, 92nd Academy Awards. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> yes, um, I have a lot to say about this Academy Awards so far, because it was shaping to be one of the most interesting ones. It still could be, but um, one movie has sort of jumped ahead of the pack that has kind of disappointed me. So, um, talking about the films that are nominated, every one of them had kind of a thing that um, the Academy sort of against. Uh, we had, you know, one very politically minded foreign language film. Another very controversial film based on a comic book series. Uh, two films produced by Netflix, which the Academy is still iffy about. And then one virtually plotless, like, hangout movie, which, again, like, they're not really big on those things. So all of these movies that could have, you know, been a potential game changer uh, were the frontrunners for Best Picture. And then out of nowhere, a really technically impressive, but also very, very, you know... Um, 
what's the word I'm looking for? Very um, crap. Lacking <laughs> like in story. Land? Yeah, very uh, yeah. Like war film comes out and it starts winning everything. And you know, I have nothing against 1917. I think it's a very interesting uh, technical achievement. But it was um, anticlimactic. I thought. Yeah, so many of these. I mean, movies... obviously, it's. Fi- I mean, it's not fiction, but. Yeah, um, but yeah, so many of these movies had so much to chew on, you know, and it could have been an interesting different take for the Academy, uh, but now it seems like they're throwing all their money in 1917, and not to say that it's a done deal or anything, but I mean, it just won the BAFTA this uh, this last weekend and everything, and it's, it seems to have been winning everything else, so um, I guess that's the direction they're going to go, and it kind yeah, of... I, well, I, I mean, I saw it, and as a filmmaker, I was... Blown away oh, by yeah, totally. the, the camera the work, work yeah, and the great. lighting. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. The, the technical aspects are second to none. Like it's it's an amazing technical. And it built and it built and it built mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden I just was like, Ugh. yeah, okay. I think I think my biggest problem with it and is just the the fact that the the story really just boils down to war is hell, right? You know, which that's like every war movie. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I don't know. Like, like I said, when we got a movie like Parasite, and I'll talk more about Parasite because that's that's my. My little champion that I'm <laughs> gunning for at the Oscars. Uh, when you got a movie like that, which is so confrontational and so, um, you know, of the moment and everything. Um, and like I said, for a long time there, it looked to be the front runner because um, even though it had the disadvantage of a foreign film, I mean, a foreign language film has never won Best Picture at the, at the Oscars, which that could be, again, like I said, a, a real um, statement by the Academy, you know, um, awarding this film the highest honor. But again, 1917, like I said, as good of a movie as it is, I've seen it so many times before winning, winning the, the highest honor, you know, so. So best yeah. picture then, since we're on it, well, first sure, of all, sure. let's talk about a few of the other best pictures. Oh, sure. Yeah. The Irishman, Jojo Rabbit, mm-hmm. Joker, Little Women, Marriage Story, mm-hmm. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Ford Ferrari. Yep. Any of those jump out at you? Oh sure, all of all of them do. All of them have interesting things about them. Um, take the, the the most obvious example that would be Joker. Um, it's just crazy to me that after all the controversy, after all the the talk about it, you know, being this like dangerous film and everything, that it was the bell of the ball, so to speak. It was the one that they honored the most with eleven nominations, making it the most nominated comic book film of all time. It beat The Dark Knight by three nominations. You know, uh, and again, I just I find that interesting, even though. Uh, I was only only like a little bit um, into the film. Uh, I was lukewarm about it, so to speak. There were things I liked about it, things I didn't like. But I think that um, that, that being a front runner is just so interesting. You know, it's just it's such a a great uh, story for um, the change of pace in the Academy, so to speak. You know, um, well, I remember when they were in the production and you found out Joaquin Phoenix was going to be the Joker, and I just said to myself, "What is going on here?" I mean, he nailed it. That happens. Yeah. Oh, my God. But, I mean, it, it, it wasn't even, yeah. I don't know, the story of the Joker. It was more about mental illness and yeah. being a I mean, I'm a huge Batman fan, and I actually talked about the Joker on another comic book podcast, but I wouldn't even really classify this as a comic book no, movie. not right. at all. It, it, it's its own thing. Right. And if you've ever seen uh, The King of Comedy, yes, I would say watch that either after you see this. Yep. which I thought was very cool. I mean, it really has nothing to do with it. It just has some similarities. But Oh, yeah. Uh, I, I love The King of Comedy. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's very much heavily in, in influenced by that, you know, especially with the casting of Robert De Niro right. as one of the main characters, you know. Um, but, yeah, so there's that. Um, but I was going to say, even, even a film that um, feels like it's something you've seen all the time, like Little Women, uh, is done in such an interesting way. I mean, you know, Greta Gerwig's film, 
unlike the book, it starts in the middle of the story and then sort of like does a time hopping thing, which I found very interesting because as much as I like Little Women the book, it is kind of anticlimactic when every time one of the sisters gets married, she's kind of just out of the story. And I thought the idea of sort of going back, start, starting in the middle of the story and as it, as it progresses, going back to... Uh, reference the connection these sisters has was very interesting and, and very modern, I think. It was a very interesting, you know, modern take on that. Jojo Rabbit? Jojo Rabbit. Uh, that was the one that I was less enthusiastic about. <laughs> I'm not sure how uh, everyone else here here feels about it. But, um, you know, when you're doing uh, a comedic satire about the Third Reich and the Holocaust, you got to hit that out of the park. <laughs> Otherwise, it's just going to it's gonna feel a little... In poor taste, so to speak, or, you know, maybe a little tone deaf. That's the overall uh, sentiment that a lot of people said to me pretty much. Okay, and I just, I, I didn't feel like it was funny enough to really warrant the the subject matter, I guess you could say, you know. Uh, I heard, I, I've not read the book that it's based on, but I heard the book is actually very dark and is more focused on the friendship between the little boy and the girl hiding in the parents' house and everything. That, that interests me to the point where I might, uh, you know, check out the book, but... Um, the film itself, I was not crazy about, but once again, there are, there are some good qualities to it. Um, funny enough, my, my favorite performance in it were all the, the younger actors, um, which unfortunately they, they didn't get any recognition, but I'm happy that Scarlett Johansson got uh, 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 an embarrassment of riches this year <laughs> with, with a double nomination, you know, so that was pretty cool. Um, and she, she might be an upset uh, because I, I feel like nominating her twice uh, Sets it up that they're they're not gonna that they're gonna n- not li- let her leave with nothing. So we might see a possible mm-hmm. upset in that category. You know. Well, the next one was Marriage Story. Love Marriage Story. <laughs> we we talked about that before we turned this. What we uh, turned on the microphones and everything. Which is a Netflix production. Netflix along production. With, uh, the Irishman. Yeah. Um. Just a really really impactful story. Um. I was really afraid it was going to give me some kind of ang- like like major anxiety. It only ended up just giving me a little bit of anxiety. But still, um, just to watch a loving marriage just sort of dissolve over the over the course of you know a few months and everything is is rough and the idea of it of divorce kind of becoming this like legal matter like watching all these like you know stories of this couple just sort of use this kind of fodder for these two characters to hurt each other is very fascinating i think and um the acting is incredible all around adam driver and especially scarlett johansson knock it out of the park scarlett johansson especially i think is probably the best performance of the entire year of, of any actor you know it's, it's a shame that uh on talk on the internet has been reduced to it kind of being a meme <laughs> they, they've taken like a, a two-minute argument scene and has sort of like you know made jokes around it and sort of some people have kind of criticized the movie just for that one scene without any kind of like um context of what leads to that big explosion of of anger and emotion you know so once again it's just it's how movies are sort of consumed nowadays um please let's do the irishman i guess um incredible film by martin scorsese that unfortunately for the longest time he couldn't find a distributor to I mean, he went to everybody, but they basically told him, you know, the kind of money he was asking for, for the digital de-aging technology and everything. It's like, they're basically like, we can't, you know, guarantee a return on investment in this. So we're not going to give you the money, even though it's Martin Scorsese, like the guy is like movie royalty. But uh, he finally went to Netflix and, you know, Netflix at that point, they had so much money, they didn't know what to do with it. So they they gave him that they gave him that option. And uh, I'm really happy because it's really um, the like perfect culmination of Scorsese's mob movie career. You know, Um, it's really just an interesting sort of look back and also like final uh, statement on on all of his mafia films, you know, so 
again, great film. Um, the behind the scenes, I thought technically was very interesting. I saw a little uh, video on that, and uh, they basically what they were shooting with each camera had three lenses, mm-hmm. and this was to I guess get every angle on for the the de aging or yeah. aging process. And uh, I think one of the main complaints was, uh, don't look at the lens. And they're like, how can I not when I've got <laughs> when nine there's... of them sitting in front of me? <laughs> one, you know, three lenses per camera, you know. So anyways. And then uh, last two for best picture I know of, uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah, that that's one where um, I've watched it twice. And I, I like it because, again, it's Quentin Tarantino who's just a damn good filmmaker. But it, it's one where it hasn't really struck me the way it struck other people. I know a lot of people really love this movie. Um I connected with uh, certain scenes to it, but as a whole, it didn't really just grab me the way I was hoping that it would, you know. But again, uh, I love the characters. I love that it's what Tarantino calls a hangout movie, you know, uh, in that there's not really a story, so to speak. We're just kind of enjoying hanging out with these characters. Uh, And I love the intense detail to uh, late 1960s California, you know. Totally. Uh, The fact that he, he, you know, still builds sets and still does, like, outside shots and everything and how much detail had to go into all these, like, period-accurate cars and clothes and signs. and even I I saw a (laughs) screenshot of the one shot on the highway with all the Mm -hmm. old cars, but they had used 20 cherry pickers with lights to, to mimic the street lights. Of the time, rather than wow, <laughs> rather than digitally do it, he 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 went all out basically. Yeah. No, he he hates digital. I think he's only used CGI in like one shot of one movie, if I remember correctly. So yeah, just I again, I I can't help but admire the attention to detail that goes into it. Um, but the film itself, I don't know, just some, something just felt like it was missing for me. I mean, like I said, it was still good. I just didn't think it was. I enjoyed amazing. it a lot. I wouldn't give it a best picture nomination. Uh-huh. Yeah, I don't think so either. I mean, I love the fact that you got immersed into the 70s and the 60s. Right. Uh, and, you know, it's uh, Quentin's always about character driven, not plot. Yeah, right. And, uh, <laughs> and it wasn't as violent. That's true. Um, as most. Very I mean, as much as I loved. As it was. <laughs> as much as I loved Brad Pitt's character, I, I really connected with Leo's uh-huh. and his struggling with, oh. with becoming a burnout. As an actor, I just, I, I was eating that up. It was so good. He's got the best scenes in the whole movie. Yeah. yeah. And it, it's cool that uh, Brad Pitt has been getting so much of the attention, but I kind of wish some of that was thrown towards Leonardo DiCaprio because his performance is kind of like. Getting a little bit underrated, unfortunately, but he's so it good. It was in great. That movie. Oh, it's great. Yeah. And the Bruce Lee scene was great. Oh, yeah. The Bruce <laughs> Lee scene was great. <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> and then lastly, Parasite. I, I've talked about this movie so much. Uh, it's It was my number one film of the year. Uh, it's like, I think, my number 15 film of the decade because I made a top 50 of the decade just on my spare time because that's what I do. Um, but uh, yeah, just an, just an incredible achievement on so many levels. Um, the, the fact that. Um, it's a, a film about class. It doesn't really take any easy shots because it could very easily turn the the rich family into kind of a stereotype or kind of a, uh, you know, walking cliche of, you know, rich people uh, problems and everything, you know, but they, they, they're not. They're, they're fairly, I mean, they're fairly clueless, but at the same time, they're just a normal, likable family, you know, and um, to watch all these people sort of do horrible things to each other in pursuit of just wanting to be the servant of this rich family is really fascinating. Like, um, I know the title is, is intriguing because uh, people have asked me, like, is this some kind of horror movie about, like, blood parasites? It's like, no, no, it's it's about class. It's about the rich and the poor and sort of how their um, the relationship is almost intrinsically parasitic because um, you got these people are essentially, like, living in the house of this rich family 
making it work, and they don't even they don't even know they're there. Like there there's so many things they do to sort of like make their lives luxurious that they're not even aware of, and it's very fascinating. Um, and again, I hope it wins uh, best picture, obviously, but also best production design. But I don't think it will because it was it was too good. Because the house that the rich people live in, as well as the like um, shanty town neighborhood that uh, the, the poor family resides in, they're both sets. And they're amazing because they it looks like a real house and like a real neighborhood, but they're not. It's all sets, and it's incredible. But again, I feel like it's too good, and they're not going to think that it was actually shot on the set. They're going to think that they found yeah, some, bummer. you know. <laughs> so that's one of those examples that where uh, the, the thing being so good is almost to its detriment, you know. But um, yeah, Parasite was just an incredible work on every level, and... Um, in, in, in a just world, at least in my opinion, it, it should be the, uh, the the number one front runner for best picture. <laughs> cool. So good stuff. Thanks. Well, let's okay. Let's shift over some acting uh, nominations here. Let's do a male lead. <clears throat> okay, uh, this one is going to be pretty much between Joaquin Phoenix and Adam Driver, uh, which I find fascinating again because it's almost like a a clash of two different acting styles. Um, Joaquin Phoenix was incredible, but also, like, really, really noticeable because he basically, like, transformed in the Joker, so to speak, you know? Whereas Adam Driver is, was much more subdued. Uh, he, he does so much just with, like, the look in his eyes and the way he moves his mouth every now and then and everything, you know? Uh, very, very restrained performance, and I love those sort of things. But I know the Academy loves really noticeable transformations. I mean... Phoenix, what did he, he lose like 55 pounds for this role? It's like he looks like a walking skeleton. It's so creepy, you know, which, again, the Academy loves that kind of stuff. And I can't, you know, um, complain about him winning because it is an incredible performance. But I would I would love to see some more love thrown uh, Adam Driver's way, you know. And then, of course, the the underrated one in this is Leonardo DiCaprio, who, yeah, uh, like bummer. we said, oh, it's, it it's so really good. a bummer. Uh, this year has had some great uh, performances by actors. Um, and once again, um, Antonio Banderas in Pain and Gloria, that's another one where everything he does is so subtle, like it's barely perceptible, you know, just the, the way he moves and the way he talks and everything, you know, uh, you, you can get so much out of that performance, you know. But... Um, once again, since Phoenix, I think, is the most noticeable, I mean, he's, he's, he's pretty much got it in the bag at this point, you know. Again, which I can't complain because uh, it's, it's amazing. So. And then lastly was Jonathan, Jonathan Price for The Two Popes, which I thought was pretty good. An- yeah, another was, Netflix production. Oh, that's right. It's another Netflix production. Uh, yeah. But yeah, um, it was good. He, he pretty much said when uh, Pope Francis got ordained Pope, he pretty much predicted that he would have to play him at some point. <laughs> Because <laughs> he looks just like the guys. <laughs> You're right, he does. Uh, and then supporting actors, we had Tom Hanks in A Beautiful mm-hmm. Day in the Neighborhood, mm-hmm. Anthony Hopkins for The Two Popes, uh, Al Pacino and Joe Pesci in uh, Irishman, and then Brad Pitt for Once Upon a Time. Who's your choice there? Uh, well, what's interesting about this one is that every every supporting actor in this has previously won an Academy Award except uh, Brad Pitt. <laughs> uh, and he's I think he's the one that's got it in the bag once again. Uh, this one... Feels like it was almost like decided weeks ago, you know, because uh, Brad Pitt had been winning everything. Which again, he's really great. Uh, unfortunately, once again, I w- I wish that we could have got some recognition for uh, Joe Pesci and The Irishman because, oh my God, he is amazing in it. Um, like it's almost like an inversion of his Completely. regular, yeah, like regular Scorsese characters. This he's so quiet and subdued but every time he's on screen he just like takes over you know it's incredible and it's um 
I know there's been like talk about uh, Academy Awards fraud this year, where somebody who's obviously a main character gets uh, relegated to supporting because it's an easier shot at winning. Uh, but this one, I feel like Joe Pesci really very much is a supporting actor, whereas Brad Pitt can almost be seen as sort of like a co-lead. Mm. Uh, same with Anthony Hopkins in The Two Popes. I mean, he's in every single yeah. scene that Jonathan Price is yeah, in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree with that. <laughs> so it would have been nice to see an actual supporting role get it. But once again, like I said, I can't complain about Brad Pitt because he does he does a really good job in the in the film. And it would be nice to see him win finally because um, I kind of hate that Brad Pitt is kind of like relegated to generic handsome man status sometimes because... When he gets a chance to, he can give a really, really great performance. When he gets a chance to really, like, understand and internalize his character, you know. And I feel like in this one he did, because Tarantino allows this sort of thing, you know. So, once again, I can't complain. Yeah, but... no, I like Pitt. There's tons of stuff he did that I just think is awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's talk about actresses. Um, let's start with supporting role, which is okay. Kathy Bates and Richard Jewell, Laura Dern in Marriage Story, Scarlett Johansson, Jojo Rabbit, Florence Pew. Pew, excuse yeah. <laughs> me, Laura's Pew and Little Women, and Margot Robbie and Bombshell, which I'd still need to see Bombshell. Oh, okay. Um, the only one that I haven't seen is Richard Jewell. I missed that one, so I can't talk about Kathy Bates, but I hear she's really good in it. Um, this one is looking to be uh, what what uh, what's goes to Laura Dern. Uh, and again, she's everyone in Marriage Story is great, so I can't complain about that. But this is one where I feel like there might be an upset. I feel like... Uh, the momentum might be turning towards Scarlett Johansson and Jojo Rabbit. Um, but I would feel the, the real standout is Florence Pugh. Um, I agree. Yeah. She, she's a, like a, st- a scene stealer in that movie. Um, every, every, once again, every time she's on screen, you're just glued to her, you know? Um, where did she come from? That's what I'd like to know. <laughs> yeah. Out of nowhere, she's in three movies and all of which I've liked uh, more and more, you know, and she gives a great performance in all three of them. Yeah. Out of nowhere, she's coming. She's already a superstar. So that's really cool. Um, once again, It'd be nice to see Laura Dern win just because she's been, you know, acting for so long and she hasn't gotten any recognition. And she is once again really good in Marriage Story. But if this one's going to have an upset, I'm I'm gunning for Florence Pugh. <laughs> but I think right now uh, the the acting awards are all pretty much decided because they've been winning everything else. I mean, they all, the same four actors have won the BAFTA, uh, the Critics' Choice Awards, the SAG, and the Golden Globes. So See, I always think they go completely opposite for Oscars. I would hope so. You know what I mean? <laughs> I always think that uh, the Golden Globes, although I think they're a little bit more prestigious and I like watching them more, uh-huh. um, it's always the exact opposite. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, this year there hasn't been too many um, too many surprises, uh, which that makes me wonder, are they saving all their surprises for Oscar night? <laughs> are, are we like completely, are we getting like lured into a false sense of confidence here? You know? <laughs> I never know anymore. Two years ago? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Let's not talk about that. <laughs> It wasn't on the Academy, though. Yeah. It was on the host. Uh, Okay, performance by a lead actress. This is the most interesting one. Uh, We have Cynthia Erivo and Harriet, Scarlett Johansson in Marriage Story, Saoirse Ronan in Little Women, Charlize Theron in Bombshell, and Renee Zellweger in Judy. Uh, Once again, all the signs are pointing to Renee Zellweger, and I can't, you know, argue with it because she pretty much becomes Judy Garland in that movie. I mean, the scenes when she's up on stage... Uh, she just, like, demands our attention, you know. Uh, but like I said before, I kind of spoiled this, but uh, Scarlett Johansson is, in my opinion, the best performance of the entire year in Marriage, Sco- Marriage Story. Uh, I would very much love to see her sweep in and, and take it. You know, again, no, nothing against Renee Zellweger. I thought her performance was great. But um, oh, just for me, like, Marriage Story has so much more to chew on, you know. Uh, and that that um, that performance is so... 
I want to say like understated, you know, uh, she just gives these speeches in it and you can just feel all the pain and resentment that she has going on uh, in that role and everything. I, I just think it's a really incredible performance. And I know the Academy isn't the let's agree with Forrest uh, awards, you know, but I just <laughs> not feel like, yet. Yeah. But I just feel like it would be a shame if, uh, Gotta get you a sad card, man. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I just feel like it would be a shame if uh, she didn't get some recognition because I think it really is. Well, the biopics, I mean, we've seen a lot of biopics in the last few years. Yes. Yes. Very much so. Um, yeah. So and, you think there maybe there's going to be a shift. Yeah, I, yeah, that's another thing. I, I would hope so. Um, and like I said, Judy is it, it. It pretty much is all about that lead performance, you know. But uh, but Marriage Story has just so much more interesting stuff going on with it that um, I feel like it would be a more interesting win, you know. But once again, I can't complain. All these all these performances are really good. Uh, the the sort of like dark horse for me is uh, Saoirse Ronan, who once again I th- I think all the performances in Little Women are great, but. Um, Sorsha, you know, I mean, she's only 25 and she's been nominated four times already. So it's like uh, she's going to get it eventually. Is, is she, has she become the, the modern day Kate Winslet <laughs> where she's going to get nominated a bunch of times but not win until like, you know, a decade later or something? <laughs> but uh, yeah, for me, it's Scott Johansson all the way. But um, I feel like Renee Zellweger's got this one, you know, so that's my prediction. Okay, now we're not going to go through all of them. Those are all the major oh, sure, ones there. But what else stands out in you? Any foreign film or animation or music score? Oh, man. Foreign film is is the easiest one to predict. It's Parasite all the way. That's I, I say bet your bottom dollar on that one, which, again, is too bad because, um, like I said, I just recently saw Pain and Glory, and it was a really, really great movie. But um, just at least from what I've seen so far, I don't think it's going to change that uh, nothing can hold a candle to Parasite. That movie is just unstoppable to me. Um, and then for animated film, this is one that I have a lot to say about, actually, because everyone's been talking about Toy Story 4, which I have problems with animated, the animated category, because it always goes to either Disney or Pixar or just a movie that's made for kids. And I don't know, for me, animation is such a, a vibrant art, you know, that I would, I would like to see more stuff on there. And we have a film... It's nominated called I Lost My Body, which I'm not sure if uh, either of you have seen it, but... I have not. It's amazing. Uh, It's a story about this uh, young guy who loses his hand in an accident, and the hand has to travel all through the streets of France trying to find him. And in between that, it it sort of like flashes back to how he eventually lost his hand and sort of a a story of him um, finding and losing love and everything. It's a really incredible work. And to have the main character be a severed hand and... uh, generate so much pathos for that hand is just really incredible to me. Uh, not made for kids. It's, it's actually a very adult story, but um, for me, it's, it's the number one animated film of the year by far. And it's got almost no recognition. So I'm, I'm like betting against all hope that uh, I lost my body. gets some recognition. Now, is that just your pick because you made the foot movie? <laughs> oh man, I didn't even <laughs> think about that. <laughs> nice. But uh, it's just, I mean, I mean, Toy Story, Four was okay, but like I just it just feels like such like the obvious choice. So I'd like to see something a little bit different. Uh, also, another uh, surprise, really good movie was Klaus, another Netflix film about uh, kind of like a Santa Claus origin story, which I had no interest in watching until I started hearing people you know praise it as being really good. I watched it; it was really good. So <laughs> nice. again, this is one where again all signs point to just Pixar sweeping it again because they always take the animation award, but. Um, 
I'm hoping for an upset. I would really love to see I Lost My Body get it, but uh, Klaus would be a fun one also. <laughs> now, I'm curious about your cinematography uh, choice because there's one movie in there that hasn't really been mentioned at all yet, which I think was just shot beautifully. Are we talking about The Lighthouse? The Lighthouse, yes. Uh, once again, uh, in a perfect world, I feel like this would have it in the bag, but we don't live in a perfect world. Um, and I, again, I can't complain because Roger Deakins is incredible and his cinematography in 1917 is blows you away. You know, it, it's just mind boggling how they how they assembled some of this stuff. And my favorite shot of the film is sort of the the pan up of him in that um, destroyed city, you know, where the, the lighting is the flares all, are going on. Yeah, everything's illuminated by the flares. It just looks incredible. But the lighthouse. Oh my god, it feels like it's from another time. It feels like it's from another planet almost. You know, it's just uh, shot in that Academy aspect ratio and that like grainy black and white. It's so good. Uh, the Lighthouse was an awesome experience. Uh, I'm so happy I saw that in the theater when it was when it was here. Um, I really was hoping that it would get some uh, some more love from the Academy. I know it's a really weird movie. It's a really esoteric story and the Academy is kind of allergic to that sort of stuff. But uh I don't know. For me, the fact that it got a nomination at all for Best Cinematography is kind of a mini miracle because it's so weird. But um, once again, I would love to see it be the be the David to 1917's Goliath. But um, I don't think that's going to happen. But again, this is one of those uh, just the fact that it's nominated is is a OK mm-hmm. with me. Sort of like uh, Ad Astra getting a, right. a Best uh, Sound Mixing nomination. Never would have expected it in a million years, but when it happened, I'm so happy that it did happen. Yeah. Well, we uh, we had just watched it this past week, and I yes. knew about the nomination, so I was paying extra attention to the sound. And oh, yeah. It is pretty great. good. I like yeah. it. It's yeah. I like it a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, not that we've been chatting here for a while here, but let's talk about director. Who's going to win oh, the best director? This, I think, might be the most interesting one, because um, I feel like all of them have a little bit of a possibility. Um, probably the... Probably the least likely is uh, Todd Phillips for Joker. But once again, like I said, it's the most nominated film. So again, it might have a chance. Uh, this year, I, th- I figured it was going to come down to Quentin Tarantino versus Martin Scorsese. Like yeah. these two titans sort of going at it. Exactly. You know? But they both kind of like dropped off a little bit. And it's really become uh, the Sam Mendes show. And once again, how he was able to achieve some of that, some of those uh, long takes, you know, was incredible. I mean, it must that movie must have been hell to direct. So it's... it's um, no small feat on his part, but uh, for me, there's sort of been a dark horse looming in the form of Bong Joon-ho because um, he's never left the conversation this whole time. I mean, um, he he recently won a Critics' Choice Award for uh, for the for Best Director, and um, uh, like like I said, um, his, his momentum just hasn't stopped with this film. People absolutely love Parasite, and that's makes me pleasantly surprised that it's become as successful as it as it has. And uh, you know, recently. There's been a trend of um, foreign language directors winning Best Director. I mean, Alfonso Caron won twice. Alejandro González Iñárritu won twice. Uh, we've had Ang Lee and um, Guillermo del Toro. So I feel like it might be in his favor to be the upset. This this might be the big upset of the of the the night because once again, all logic says Sam Mendes because he's he's got like all the momentum going for it. But I feel like if there's going to be one upset this this year, it's going to be Bong Joon Ho winning Best Director over over um, Sam Mendes. So there you go. That's <laughs> my my controversial opinion of the night. <laughs> Do you want to just uh, maybe throw out your picks for some of the other categories if if they're ones you've seen? Uh, sure, sure. Um, for Best Documentary, I haven't seen enough of it yet. Um, 
Honeyland was really, really intriguing. I need to watch it again because when I did watch it, I was a little bit tired. So uh, I might have fallen asleep through, through certain parts. Nothing against the film itself. I'm just saying don't watch movies when you're tired. But what I did see was uh, really intriguing. Um, and on the other side, we have American Factory, which um, was a, a, a good film in its own right, you know, um, which I think might have the edge at this point because it's a little more of a traditional documentary, you know, but um, Honeyland, I, I, again, it really, really uh, caught me off guard, you know, uh, and I'm going to watch Forsama probably today or tomorrow. So again, not enough uh, undocumentary to um, really have an opinion on that. I just wanted to get some stuff out there. And then uh, of course there's visual effects. That's one I always find very interesting. This one, this year though, uh, I'm a little, disappointed so to speak because there's nothing that really like stands out for me like avengers endgame and star wars rise of skywalker both had really really good visual effects but it's what we've expected i mean we, we've seen yep. good visual effects for these series the whole time and then we've got the lion king that movie has amazing visual effects but i hate how they're used because the idea of super hyper realistic lions you know dancing around and singing songs and talking in these celebrity voices is so jarring because Lion King has the energy of a cartoon because it was a cartoon movie. And to see, it, 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 to me, it looked like um, a National Geographic documentary that a bunch of celebrities had started like doing like voiceover to, you know? It's like just, a dub. Yeah, it, it, it's so jarring. Um, yeah, I'm not a fan of the live action stuff. No, no, not at all. Um, once again, like I said, I, I love how the special effects look. They look incredible, but I don't like how they're utilized, so I can't in good faith, you know, um, vote for that one. So for me, it all comes down to the Irishman, even though a lot of people have complained about the, the digital de-aging and saying it looked distracting and everything. For me, it was the best um, utilization of visual effects to tell a story. And for me, that's that's uh, what should go for the for the visual effects um, type of thing, you know. Um, so, Not the obvious, right, Avengers yeah. or Star Wars. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, for me, it's the Irishman all the way. Although uh, 1917 also had really good, yeah, it did really too. good effects. Yeah, um, Oh, yeah, and then uh, finally, just uh, for one little thing, uh, the, the screenplay categories. Uh, adapted screenplay, I feel like Greta Gerwig's, uh, like I said, that, that, in, that interesting, like, time-hopping take on Little Women should be the, the big winner. Um, it might go to Jojo Rabbit. Uh, like, once again, I said, I didn't particularly get, over, get uh, wowed by the story and by the script and everything, but uh, I know it's got a lot of factors in there that the Academy loves. Uh, Steven Zalian's script to The Irishman is near perfect. I would love to see it get that, but um, I would be very happy to see Gerwig uh, take it for Little Women, especially after the controversy of her not uh, getting a Best Director nomination, which she very much deserved. Uh, and then there's original screenplay. What's shocking to me is more what wasn't nominated. I thought The Farewell had it in the bag, you know, but it didn't even get a nomination. Um, but all the all the scripts are really good. Um, uh, Ryan Johnson's Knives Out was awesome and entertaining and so much fun, and I, I'm just really overjoyed that it's nominated. Uh, Noah Baumbach's uh, Marriage Story was, once again, incredible. Uh, and then, of course, Tarantino, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I mean, it's Tarantino. At this point, we know that he's going to write great screenplays. Uh, but once again, for me, i got to go with Bong Joon-ho and Han Jin-won for Parasite. Uh, that script was so interesting and so just mind-boggling you know I, I know one critic said uh you think the parasite's going to be one thing and then it mutates into something else and that's like the perfect description of it just uh how twisty and turny that story is and how it goes in directions you don't expect um so yeah for for me even that this is like a stacked year for original screenplay but for me i want to see uh parasite take the big one <laughs>
Okay, what about snubs? Oh, we anybody got, got snubbed out there that you think they should have gotten into the Oscars this year? Oh, oh we got a lot of those. Um, farewell getting nothing really shocked me. Um, I would have loved to see, first of all, screenplay, but also I think that Aquafina did a really great job acting. Um, I never thought I'd say this, but Adam Sandler and Uncut Gems, which I thought he was incredible. Although the the silver lining to this is I've heard him say that, say, maybe me threaten that uh, if he didn't get a nomination for this movie, he was going to make a really, really bad movie. I heard well, that. <laughs> I think I was watching David Spade. So, yeah. <laughs> now I'm kind of curious about what that really, because that's saying a lot. Yeah, <laughs> especially after, yeah. yeah. But that's another one where I Ridiculous feel like. Ridiculous six. Or... <laughs> yeah. But I feel like the movie might have been, just been a little too weird for the Academy to notice. Eddie Murphy for Dolomite is my name. Uh, really, was anybody in Dolomite is my name. Both him and also uh, Wesley Snipes, I thought, gave incredible performances. And again, it just would have been fun to see. I Sometimes the Academy feels kind of allergic to fun. <laughs> I would like to see more. Just um... Have you ever seen the original Dolomite? Oh, yeah. I love it. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's pretty risque stuff, <laughs> yeah. too, man. Like, I was like, oh, let's go check this out. And I was like, oh, my yep. God. This is like uh, Prescott Drive-In stuff, you know? <laughs> yep, yep. Um, so, yeah. Um, Oh, God, I know I have a bunch of other uh, snubs. Well, oh, about Hustlers, uh, Jennifer Lopez. Oh, yeah, that was really surprising to me. Uh, Jennifer Lopez was really good. And like I said, uh, the, the Academy loves comeback stories, and this is a big comeback story. But once again, nothing. Really surprising to me. Um, and then also on the supporting side, uh, Willem Dafoe in The Lighthouse, I thought it was the best performance of his entire career. He, he put his all into that movie, and to see it, once again, I know it's, it's a really weird movie, and the Academy really hates really weird movies, but oh man, Willem Dafoe was just so much fun to watch uh, in that film, and uh, I would love to see him get something, but he just got shut out completely, you know? Um, yeah. Maybe uh, you could talk about the Academy for some of the listeners who don't, you know, always pay attention to some of the the other categories or the the Oscars and awards in general, uh, any trends you've noticed or or the way they operate that you could you could explain to a layperson? Oh sure. Uh, well, the Academy is basically a group of people that work in Hollywood because usually for um, most awards, they're given by the press or given by critics. Uh, the Academy Awards are a little bit different because they're the only one that's given by people that actually work in the industry. That's what makes them interesting. Um, the Academy is also, I want to say, like 70% comprised of actors, which is why you mostly get really like actor-heavy movies. Um, how it works is to pick a nominee, everybody who works in the respective field votes uh, on nominees. So only writers can vote on screenplay. Only cinematographers can vote on cinematography. And then when the nominees are decided, the entire Academy um votes on who who the winners are going to be. Uh, the thing is, though, it's what's called a preferential ballot system. So essentially, rather than just picking a winner, they uh, sort of rank the nominees. Uh, the big controversy last year was uh, when Alfonso Caron's Roma seemed to have it in the bag of winning Best Picture, and the, the Best Picture ended up going to Green Book. Um, the reason might have been that only half the Academy voted Roma is number one, and the other half wrote it wrote it down as their bottom choice. Whereas if everybody picked Green Book as their number two, mm-hmm. through the preferential ballot, it gets in there. Which is why sometimes uh, the winner of Best Picture can be a little um, unexpected, you know, because um, of that preferential ballot thing. Um, for the foreign film, this is an interesting thing. They don't just pick any foreign language film. 
uh, what happens is um, every country has to submit one film that they pick as their sort of representative film. Um, and then the uh, Academy votes on which ones will be the nominee. They, they have a short list first of like 15 films, which then get whittled down to five. Um, we get weird choices like uh, this year... Um, Everyone assumed that Francis' pick was going to be Portrait of a Lady on Fire because uh, it had been winning accolades all over the place. But they ended up picking Les Miserables, which, again, it worked. It's It still made it into the nominees, but um, it was just unexpected. And people were asking, what about Portrait of a Lady on Fire? The reason is because the country can only pick one movie to be a nominee. You can't, you can't have... Um, you know, two French films competing against each other in best uh, foreign film, which makes sense. It, they do that so that we don't have just one country dominating the entire thing. Uh, but unfortunately, it still stays kind of uh, Eurocentric. I mean, this year, aside from Parasite from South Korea, we've had a film from Poland, a film from France, and a film from Spain. Um, there was a really interesting film on Netflix, by the way, called Atlantics, which was uh, filmed in Senegal. Um, that I was hoping it made it into the short list, but unfortunately it didn't, uh, didn't make it in there. And, um, it, it's kind of tough, you know, gauging an entire country by one movie, you know? <laughs> so, sure. um, but yeah, I, I was hoping that, um, especially now because I, I still call it best foreign language film because that's just force a habit, but they actually this year they changed the name to best international film, uh, just to sort of like you know, what if a film is made in a foreign country, but they speak half the dialogue in English, you know, sort of thing. So I thought that would sort of open it up a little bit. But unfortunately, it seems to be the same five countries, except for South Korea. Uh, Parasite's nomination was South Korea's first ever nomination in the Best inter International Film category. So that's cool. Um, I'm trying to think about other stuff. Oh, uh, just recently, uh, in, the, in the last, you know, four or five years or whatever, there was the controversy about... Um, all the nominees being uh, mainly white people, the hashtag Oscar so white controversy and everything. Uh, and they change it to like sort of open up their membership more. Because what happens is when someone becomes a member of the Academy, they have to pay uh, an annual due and um, they then have voting preferences for as long as they pay their dues. They, they could not make a movie for like 20 years, but they can still be a member of the Academy. And uh, the problem with that was it was harder for younger people and, you know, people outside the what's considered the Hollywood norm to uh, get in there, you know. So what they, what they did was they changed the rules where members, if they haven't made a movie, I think, in 10 years or haven't done anything involved in the industry, uh, they still get all their rights and privileges uh, as an Academy member except for voting. They can't vote unless they've done something, you know, within the industry in the last 10 years. Is um, there a cap on Academy members? Nope. It's it, it's anyone who, who wants to pay their due, who wants to, you know, pay the, the membership fees or whatever. Famously, George Lucas is not a member of the Academy. He actually turned down the offer, you know, so that's the thing. You that can, was people, years ago. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah that was can, a big... Mm -hmm. That was cool. Yep. So but yeah. then he became, well, that's a whole other story and a whole other podcast, <laughs> which we'll, you can talk about in the future, but yeah, he became what he did not want to become. Eventually. Yeah, right, yeah. right. Um, but it's interesting because they, they did that to try and make the Oscars more inclusive. But uh, this year, there's been a lot of uh, controversy. Like you said, you know, Jennifer Lopez didn't get anything. Aquafina was uh, completely shut out. Um, got people like Eddie Murphy and uh, Lupita Nyong'o and us. So it still feels like there's a lot of that um, old school, old guard mentality going on, you know. And once again, this was a tough year because there were a lot of really good performances. So It's only um, going to get tougher and tougher with all the content and mm -hmm. all the channels and selections. Right. And I actually wanted to talk about, and we'll do this on a future podcast, but the whole Netflix uh, controversy oh. and, 
you know, Irishman oh, was released two weeks in the theaters, so it could get the Oscar noms, and then it went straight to Netflix. You yeah, know? it's fascinating uh, because Netflix and other streaming sites have totally changed the game. Like, uh, you know, Steven Spielberg has famously said that they should be eligible for Emmys because they count as TV movies. But the weird thing is, it's not television. It's the internet. It's it's something completely different. So I, it's just interesting to me that um, what constitutes a film nowadays has been changing so radically. And uh, as some of the previous winners have shown, the Academy is sometimes uh, uh, adverse to change. So I think they might be scared of this, which is why, which is unfortunately why I feel like. Um, even though they got a lot of nominees, the Netflix films aren't going to do all that great this year because there's still a lot of that old backlash, which I wish would uh, they would hurry up and get with the times because Netflix has been one of the most interesting uh, film studios, so to speak, in the last like five years or so. Uh, they put out a lot of bad stuff, but uh, every now every year we get like two or three movies, which are really great. <laughs> and, I've seen a lot of good stuff on there. That oh uh, yeah, Aeronauts. Oh yeah, I haven't seen I was that one too. Blown away by that. Yeah, that one's really good that too. Was really good. Got to give a shout out to Marvel's Daredevil. Rest in peace. Oh yeah, I, I loved that show. <laughs> so yeah, but um, I, I really think they need to realize that you know Netflix is is really changing the game in a good way. I mean, you know, um, people like Martin Scorsese and Noah Baumbach and other people like that have been have, you know talked about how difficult it is to get. Uh, mid-budget, character-driven it films. It seems like released. everyone's kind of embracing the streaming services. Mm -hmm. So it's only going to get bigger. Yeah, oh, totally, totally. Yeah. Well, any final thoughts on Oscars? I hope for a really good show. I, I hope that uh, we get some pleasant surprises. Uh, and uh, if anybody's interested, my sister-in-law came up with a game, which if you guys want to play it at home, you can play it. It's called Drunk Oscars. Uh, what you do is everyone... <laughs> How do you play? Everyone picks who uh, they think is going to win. And if you guess right, you can make somebody else at the party drink. If you guess wrong, you have to drink. And if everyone guesses wrong, everybody drinks. I bet everyone <laughs> hates you in that game. Yeah, totally. Yeah, you don't really win every year. You and Mike Berlin at the, the polls, the Oscar polls. Um, what about your thoughts on the fact that there's no host? I genuinely like it, actually. Um, last year had no host, and I thought it was one of the smoothest shows in a long time. I've got nothing against hosts, but uh, sometimes I feel like they're they're a product of an earlier time, you know? And I feel like uh, a show nowadays can go hostless and um, and be a perfectly, like, fine, acceptable show. That being said, though, uh, last year I watched uh, the film Independent Spirit Awards, which was on the day before uh, the Academy Awards, and it was hosted by Aubrey Plaza, and she knocked it out of the park. And I said, how come Aubrey Plaza isn't just hosting everything? So just note to any Academy members that are listening, you know, Aubrey Plaza is always available to be a host on, on things. So. See, I like Ricky Gervais, too. Sign him up for another five years. <laughs> Okay, well, uh, Forrest, I want to thank you for joining us today. You are going to be a regular with us from here on out, well, from here on out for this season of yeah. Film Grain. Uh, we look forward to seeing what movies you have uh, in store for us. I um, look forward to sharing my thoughts, yep. <laughs> That's been our episode. You can buy tickets for Judy in our 2020 programming at filmsocietynwpa.org or at the door the day of the event. Tune into ABC this Sunday at 8 p.m. to watch the 92nd Academy Awards. Make sure you follow us on social media. You'll find all the tags and links in the show notes for this episode. Until next time, this was Film Grain.